Next, um, Tina's going to come up here, the blockchain track lead, and take over, because we have a, another panel on grappling with stigma with um, Jose Arrieta, I believe, Debbie Bucci, and Tom Savell. Tina, do you want to take it from here? All right, so yes, up next we have grappling with stigma and celebrating ingenuity with failures and negative data. And we were running just a few minutes behind from the lunch session, so I'd like to actually hear Heather's thoughts as moderator, if she would like to um, trim some time from this session or if you would like to trim time equally from both sessions that are coming up? The only possible right answer is equally from both sessions. Okay, perfect. So in this case, we'll shave off about seven and a half minutes from this session, and then we'll shave off another seven and a half minutes from the next panel session. So that way we're back on track for our 2.15. Thank you. All right, well this is a this is a subject near and dear to my heart. It has to do with the pain and the burden that one bears to be an innovator and learning how to accommodate and react to failure uh, in environments that can be extremely intolerant of those ideas. So we have here three innovators, three people who have really pushed the envelope of what's possible. So it's gonna be extremely interesting to hear all three of your insights uh, in, in those areas from those lessons. Um, do we wanna do quick intros? So that for the audience who is not aware, maybe, uh, maybe we could start with you, Debbie, then Jose, then Dr. Savell, at the you know, one minute level. So my name is Debbie Bucci, and I guess where the focus of innovation is um, that I'm gonna uh, that my experience comes from is really around infrastructure federation, uh, SOAS part, and being one of the first to actually do federated authentication. So I speak around that. Uh, my name is Jose Arrieta, and very much focused on the implementation side. Um, you heard the blockchain stuff earlier, and the built large IT systems to identify terror threats around the world. Um, so that's really my background. Hey everyone, uh, I'm Tom Savell. I'm a medical officer with the CDC down in Atlanta, and I've had the privilege for the past 15 years to be at the intersection between information science, technology, public health, and clinical medicine, and I lead a team under the CIO that's focused on working with public health programs, do new innovations, test things out, fail fast, and obviously that's why we're looking at blockchain. Thank you, Dr. Safel. Let's, let's keep it with you here to, to start. So this idea of resilience, it, it, you know, it has a, um, a standard English language meaning, but it's also become a psychometrically measured uh, function. Of, of, so what is your perspective of resilience and its criticality in responding to failures? How does it help parties be able to change and not be overly attached to past decisions? All right, so I'm not sure if Google did this first, but they coined a term called psychological safety, 
And so the goal is always to create, at least at a small size, create an atmosphere that making mistakes is okay. And I think if you can create it where making a quick mistake is not a problem, it almost doesn't seem like a mistake. It's just, oh, that's just what we do. We try something and we fail. And it's, it's sort of seen as not a big issue. But obviously, if you have a thing where you spend weeks on something, I think really it's, it's you work on that culture at a small level, then you gradually scale it up larger. So in a nutshell, that's, it's creating that atmosphere. And slowly, that can then permeate other areas. So psychological safety for us. Well, one quick follow-on question. And could you, could you bring it home for how that has been a, a particular challenge or how it's worked well for you either way inside CDC? It's worked well for our team because we make mistakes all the time and I would show you diagrams, but then we keep on pushing forward. And in terms of the agency, yes, CDC is risk averse, but if you can make those risks very small, it can tolerate those. So you gotta start baby steps, and then I'm sure Jose would agree, as you get bigger and bigger, they can tolerate that. Thank you so much, Dr. Savell. So Debbie, I'd like to direct this next one to you. And it has to do with the problem of, of not necessarily knowing the destination where you're headed. So how do you innovate when the, the vision is not necessarily clear? And uh, you are, you are uh, rightfully recognized as having lit a match in a dark room inside uh, the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT with your 2016 blockchain challenge. Um, how did you manage the unknown with your colleagues and peers in government and encourage everyone to, to move forward despite all of that uncertainty? So I really think you need to truly need to believe in your product or your mission or where you're going. And if you have a belief as something is possible, then that, pa that passion will translate and, and go to others. For an example, my father was an ice cream man for 35 years, but he believed in good humor ice cream. <laughs> so, and he believed it sold it. So in that same kind of thing, if you had that passion of, of a sense of not quite knowing, just, just for, um, so we're gonna talk about the blockchain specifically, the idea that there is this passion around the cryptographers that were really looking deeply into it. They were just considering the idea of how they could could use that, that type of, and you would call it intuition, of that passion or that underlying sense that something's there is in, infectious, that you can't help but to relate it on. And I think that is a way to at least get it, the spark started. Thank you, Debbie, and, um, and Jose. So, you have accomplished so much uh, in, in government in terms of real deployment and driving change, and you've gone about it in very interesting ways. Um, there must have been course corrections along the way. And I'm, I'm really interested if you could comment for us on how have you known, what indicators gave you the sense that something needed to change? And then how did you get people to say, okay, this was what we were doing, now we're doing this? Yeah, I mean, so the first idea I had around blockchain was to actually create an ecosystem where you could actually buy and sell products, let's say laptops, between agencies and uh, and the General Services Administration where I was working at the time. So we had a meeting on it, and I, I kind of mapped it out on the board, and I was looking around the room, and I was like, oh, this is never going to work. Because every single person at the table had a stake in the change that I was proposing. 
uh, and they all need control and they all need credit. And while I could give them all credit, I couldn't give them all control. Um, so what I did is I said, well, what do I control end to end? And it may not be the, uh, the most attractive implementation of blockchain, but if I focus on what I control the end to end and I don't ask anybody for permission, um, and I don't try to develop any type of consensus and I'm not picking on your company, Heather, um, then I can actually build something at a very low dollar value that I can uh, have them provide feedback on. And when people can touch and feel things, um, they can feel more comfortable with change. Uh, and, that's, and that's really what we did at GSA. And it, it, like I said, it was not the most attractive implementation. It didn't provide the most value, but it was something that people could grapple. They could wrap their mind around. They weren't uh, afraid of any regulation that may impact them. And I wasn't kind of draining the water out of the little pond that they saw themselves as the owner of. Um, and, and I think that's the key. And you know, the first time I ever presented what we were going to do was in front of an audience of 300 people. And I'll never forget, there was a, a guy named Willie. Willie's famous now because I tell this story over and over again. And I'll never let him forget it. I'm a mean person in that way. And he rolled his eyes. He literally rolled his eyes. Basically, like, it's never going to work. And, you know, when you're talking to a 300-person organization that you lead and you see that, you're like, okay. So two weeks, a quarter later when we did the presentation and we actually show what we built, I said, Willie, I remember you rolling your eyes. I want to show you what we built. Um, and you got to be able to accept that criticism. Right? Not everybody's going to like you and not everybody's going to like the direction you're going in. So I think those are kind of the things that I've learned along the way. Uh, and I'm fine with that. You know, my wife's probably not the happiest with it because it definitely creates some mood swings at home, right? Some days you're happy and some days you're sad, but that's the only way you're going to actually change anything. It's interesting that you say not everyone's going to like you. And uh, let's, let's shift the conversation to this idea that was on the subject of the panel about stigma in two contexts. One, as the stigma attached with, with putting yourself forward and driving something ahead of the majority, in fact, being in the extreme minority and having the courage to advance, there's a stigma connected with that. There's often backlash. Um, let's talk about first, just quickly, stigma as innovators, and then I want to talk about how you position failures and pivots. Uh, maybe we could start with you, Debbie. So because we're talking in the federal context, I, um, the most success about moving ahead, I do agree, is um, operating under, under the bar of, you know, coming from my experience from NIH very much is always a creative experience where you're allowed to try and kick the tires, but where that um, where the, the tension comes is when you get above that line and you get noticed by those who are actually, it, it may, your approach may be threatening others that are out there. And that is a really, I think that is the toughest that, that when you change that bar that there is a realization this could be make a major impact to other processes that are going on. I think that is the largest challenge. Mm -hmm. I think it, and I don't see Oki here, but uh, you know when we were doing our implementation that we're working on right now, I actually sent a series of text messages until probably like three in the morning back and forth with Oki, who graciously actually responded to all of them, uh, where we argued against what we were doing, just to make sure that we were right. And and I'll never forget my wife actually woke up at some point. I tell this story all the time, but it's true. 
and she laughs when I say it, but she actually woke up at one point at like two in the morning and she's like, his wife hates you. And she rolled over and went to sleep. <laughs> and she's like, and then the next day she's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm arguing against our strategy, right? Uh, because, you know, if you're gonna stand up in front of a hundred people and say that you think this is right, you better be prepared for the criticism that you may get. Mm -hmm. And you better have thought it through. You may not have the right answer. You may be going with your intuition and your gut, and you may not be correct, and that's okay. But you better have thought through the question itself. Um, and, you know, I, I've said this publicly. I think I sent you the article. If you don't agree with blockchain, and, and then stand up and say it in front of 100 people. If you agree with blockchain or some technology or some change in a business model, stand up in front of 100 people and say it, right? Uh, because that's what leadership is. Um, and you're not going to feel comfortable doing that unless you've challenged yourself. And that's the way that you deal with stigma. I really like that idea. Know your opponent's arguments thoroughly and deeply. Standing that's behind Dr. Savell. So we're dealing with this right now. So um, everyone's like, blockchain. And so we were excited about it. But again, everyone for all these conferences was talking about it in the abstract. Like, it sounds great. You're like, oh, and it does your dishes too. And so I went back to the team and I'm like, look, we have to get our hands really dirty with this. We have to get under the hood, see what's BS, see what's real, because it's time for it to get real and not just sort of, it sounds fantastic. So we got under the hood and we waited until we had a CDC program that had a need. So we did our work on starting to learn it. And then when we saw a program, we're like, aha. And then, so right now we're working on a proof of concept with tuberculosis surveillance. We're not gonna try to go above the radar until we've done it end to end and it's really working well and we really understand what we're dealing with because once you come above radar, it's a whole new game. And so we're making sure we have everything all set. We understand the weaknesses, the strengths, we're, you know, what, what we're doing so then when it's time to show that this can be used for surveillance versus just saying it'll work for surveillance internationally always and in seconds and save 50%. It's like, we don't have the data yet. We need to get to know the beast and then we're ready for all the arguments. So it's really an, an incremental process and we're being really tough on ourselves. The team is challenging what we've done and finding flaws and we created smart contracts and now we've destroyed all of those and we've built better smart contracts. So it's a continual evolution. So that's the way we kind of do it. Mm -hmm. there's, there's one other piece. When you're, if you're in industry like Mahela uh, and you're building a company, you build the company you become the CEO and you really become a talent sourcer. You're really trying to find the best people to grow your company. My dad runs a company, right? My dad, since I was eight years old, he founded it. But when you're in government, you build something and you, and you got to give up ownership of it. Because it, if it's going to change, like you literally almost have to walk away from yes, it. Uh, and that's a really kind of tough pill to swallow. But you have to let go of it because... You have to get it to a point where it will survive because there's a lot of because there's people that maybe don't understand it that may crush it, but it'll get to a point where it can survive on its own and you got to let go and you got to walk away because it's the only way the culture will accept it. Um, and you have to know that going in and that's a tough thing to do if you've put time into something and and put a ton of energy into it. And So you both hit on, um, I would say, hard lessons learned. It's truly 
working undercover, having an idea, moving it forward, having your peers really push back on it. But the idea within the government to have a champion that has a real need, that is going to take and own that idea and move that forward, actually moves you past the, the um, the conflict that you're getting with your peers because a broader, it's meeting and addressing a broader need. But as it becomes part of the need and satisfies the solution, that's what happens. You actually lose it. It becomes part of the larger federal government work that as an innovator, it was considered that you know operations is not where I belong. So I get that sense, and that's what you do. You really need to be able to to get it out there and move it, and be willing and understanding that others will come along and need to take it off, take it over, and where it needs to go. And by the time um, blockchain becomes mainstream, hopefully we're onto different stuff. We're onto something. Yeah, that's, <laughs> exactly. and we're not doing our job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, all of you, um, we, have, we have five minutes left. Um, you've had an opportunity to learn deep lessons going through these processes. I'm wondering if, if you could um, encapsulate a takeaway from your experience, because this, this room are, is full of many people I know who have been up against a lot of those same challenges and have carried that weight of you know temporarily losing credibility because you just keep talking about blockchain, for example, or having you guys all laugh, right? Um, how do you endure? What have you learned? And, and is, there a, is there a lesson for those in the room that you can share? And, and anyone who wants to go first? Yeah, I mean, you have to separate yourself from whatever you're doing, uh, right? So when I go home, uh, was long, while my kids are awake and my family's awake, I spend time with my kids and my family and I'm completely focused on them. And I think that's really important. You got to have time of separation. I, but I think the other thing that's really important, it's interesting to run into Heather, Tom, who I talked to when we built our first blockchain and down in, uh, when I was at GSA, at Mahela, Sean, there's so many familiar faces here. Alec, when you're, when you're actually building something, you know, folks like Sean will, post something and send you an email and say, hey, this is great, you know, keep pushing the envelope. Would you come and talk at Georgetown University Saturday morning and share what you're doing? And then you kind of find some like-minded people who will give you feedback. They may understand the challenges that you're encountering, but they also give you support. Uh, and you have to find people like that for the ideas that they give you in terms of how to implement, uh, but just for the hug that they'll give you uh, when part of your implementation fails and you know you have to pivot to something else. It's important to find some like-minded folks that understand kind of what you're going through um, and what you're trying to do. And it's interesting that I keep running into those people, uh, and there's more at this conference, but you guys are just the few that I see in the room. Um, and you will continue to run into those people because they're the ones that are willing to push the envelope. So just really quick, you know, the classic thing of like, oh, it's not the technology, it's the people in the process. It's also the tech. And just like you all have heard, you've seen bad EHR implementations, there's going to be bad blockchain implementations, and it's, you, it, you have to do it right. And we've had our team and did things and we're like, this is really not good. Like, wrote some bad smart contracts. So it's, it's not like, oh, the tech's really fast and easy. I've never seen tech easy. Even with mobile apps, oh, it's a quick mobile app, we'll just use a multi-platform thing, we can punch it right out, it's phone gap, whatever. I'm just saying, it's never easy. Anyone who says tech is easy hasn't been, hasn't been in it long enough. And, 
Thank you, Dr. Savelle. And the other thing I would, so as, there's gonna be another wave. So that right now everything is very much in an innovation, but at some point, somewhere, someplace, we're gonna see flavors of blockchain that is gonna be actually implemented into product. And then those products will then be forced to interoperate with, with each other. So there's this other layer of what you imagine standard A to be and how you, how you implement it versus others implementing it. You're gonna get again, you're gonna, there'll be another wave of, um, I hate to say the word, interoperability, but the whole idea of interoperating with each other that will in its turn, for at least for some of the work that I've worked on, because we came in Roblox, if things that didn't work the, the way you think, you end up having to integra integrate out of the box, which then in turn gets folded back into the product. So there's a way that you can actually help move the industry forward, and I, I, that's another lesson learned. So super quick, so Jose doesn't know it yet. So Jose and I, we're using different flavors of blockchain, but I think in a way that's good because it'll force us to figure out how can we make exactly. everything work using different flavors. So I'm purposely using a different one just so we can be educated about it. So it should be interesting. Yeah, that, that interoperability message is so key. Thank all of you for your insights and for all of the leadership you've provided us uh, in this industry. All of you, thank you.